Just kidding, just kidding. Uh, Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. And we thank you, Lord, that we can live that. And here we are in a missionary church, Lord. And we just pray that you would help us to give, go, and send people to the mission field. And help us to, to hear what you have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, as was mentioned, I'm a, one of the leaders in a group called Youth with a Mission, and we affectionately call it YWAM, Y-W-A-M. And so, are you a YWAMer? I'm a YWAMer. So we have this little joke going on with our acronyms. And um, one day in 1981, I was in the Fiji Islands. We were starting to pioneer work in the Fiji Islands. And uh, somehow I was out, and I, if you didn't know it, back then, Fiji had more Indians, South Indians, than it has uh, local Fijian Melanesian people. Now it's about even half and half, and big story about how that happened. But anyway, um, about half of Fiji was Muslim, and about half were Hindu, and, and it, or I should say, part were Muslim, part were Hindu, part were nominal Christians, mostly Methodists. And so I'm walking down the street one day, and uh, I'm just by myself, and I see a sign that says, Wham, Why? W-A-M-Y. And, and then I went, wham, why? I mean, why wham? Maybe some hyperactive why wham person got up and spelled something wrong. So let me see, wham, why? And then a guy comes out of the, out of the door around this time, and he had a little hat on, which I recognize as a hajj hat. That means he's a Muslim person, and he went to a, uh, a Muslim celebration in, uh, in the Middle East, and so he had his little hat on. So I immediately thought he was a Muslim, and I said, oh, tell me about wham, why? He said, oh, it's the World Assembly of Muslim Youth. World Assembly Muslim. So I'm with youth with the mission. So we, we kind of hit it off, and he took me downstairs, and we had a cup of tea together. And for two hours, he tried to convert me to be a Muslim. And of course, I spent two hours trying to convert him to be a Christian. And well, we kind of hit it off and slapped five, or did our equivalent of slapping five. And then I went away, and I said, one of us is wrong. Or maybe both of us are wrong. Or maybe both of us, but both of us can't be right. And it got me thinking about the whole issue of truth. Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said he came to bear witness to the truth, and Pontius Pilate said, ah, what is truth? And then he walked away. Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. And we live by principles of absolute truth in every area of our life. If you talk to somebody who's a non-Christian, and they'll say, well, I don't believe in any of that truth stuff. Truth is relative. You have your truth, and I have my truth. I tried to convince my father and my brother when I first became a Christian. Now, my testimony, which I won't bore you with. I spent four years doing drugs, dropping acid, selling dope, doing all kinds of stuff. Jesus Christ got a hold of my life, and he changed my life, and so forth. But that's not what makes the gospel true. The gospel is true if I never get saved, and the gospel is true if I uh, backslide and become an atheist. The, the Bible is still true. And when we look about the whole issue of truth, and it's something that we're dealing with, because sometimes we in America... We make, a friend of mine made a little joke, and he said there's three kinds of evangelism in America. He said there's Frankenstein evangelism, which is, uh, you know, the preacher gets up on a Sunday night with a black Bible and a black tie, and he's going to preach it down to these people down there, and you don't really let them, have it, let them have the gospel. And then he tells them they're going to go to hell and burn like a chestnut for all eternity, and you'll be screaming out from the agonies of hell for all eternity. And uh, how many of you know if you use fear and threat to bring people into the kingdom, you got to keep using fear and threat to keep them in the kingdom. On the other hand, we have uh, probably more popular in America is what we call the Santa Claus gospel. And the Santa Claus gospel is Jesus did it all for you. You don't have to repent. You don't have to believe. You don't have just love Jesus and just have a good time and, and uh, don't worry about anything. There's no, no blood, no repentance, no resurrection. We don't need any of that kind of stuff. And yet, 
The Bible says, and the kingdom message of the Bible, is the gospel is true. Jesus really did die on that cross. He really did rise from the dead. And we've somehow got to give people that message. Now, uh, as most evangelists do, they try to sell their books at their meetings, and I am no exception. But uh, I uh, wrote this book a couple of months ago, and it came out of a um, young YWAM worker that was working in India. And he sat down with a young Indian guy, very well-read, very well-educated, and um, the YWAM worker was working him and says, you know, you need to give your life to Jesus Christ because he's the way, the truth, and the life, and so forth. And uh, the young Hindu guy who had just graduated, from high, just graduated from college, about 22 years of age, he said, oh, uh, I've heard about this Jesus, I've heard about this gospel, but tell me more. So the young Y-Wormer went, wow, he's even asking for the gospel, so I'm going to give it to him. So he goes over to the guy and he says, uh, did you know that uh, Jesus loves you? And the guy says, I did not know that, tell me more. Jesus loves you uh, and he has a plan for your life. And the Hindu guy says, well, how do you know Jesus is true and he has a plan for my life? Well, because the Bible says so. Well, why should I believe the Bible? Well, you should believe the Bible because the Bible's God's word. Well, how do you know the Bible's God's word? I know the Bible's God's word because God's word says God... God <laughs> The Bible says God's is God's word. And so the guy just said, you're kind of lolo, giving us uh, something that doesn't even make any sense. But it's interesting that the Bible, as we Christians read the Bible, is loaded with what we call legal terms. And um, there's words like justification. As a matter of fact, it was just up on the board a minute ago. On the 31st, you're going to have like an alternative celebration. Well, on October 31st, 1517, a German monk by the name of Martin Luther got up in front of a bunch of people and he nailed 95 points, or what they call 95 theses that nailed on the door of the church in Wittenberg because he was a monk and he was following the teachings of the church, but the teachings of the church didn't mention grace through faith is how we really get saved. And it's all by grace through faith. Now, either the church was true at the time, which talked about you could go into a Muslim country and kill Muslims and get special reward in heaven, or you can be a Christian and you can love God and you have a wonderful relationship with Jesus Christ. What's it going to be? And so Martin Luther said, no, the just will live by faith. And the whole world was changed. And I am not just blowing smoke here. If you're here today and uh, if, if, well, you are here today. <laughs> Uh, you could talk about somebody else who's not here today. You would not be sitting here today if it wouldn't have been for Martin Luther. Martin Luther said, here I stand, so help me God. The gospel is true by grace, through faith, through Jesus' blood on the cross and the resurrection and so forth. And of course, they were chasing him all over, the, all over Europe at that time, and that was in 1517. Not only do we have the Lutheran church, we have churches like this and churches all over the world who follow the teachings of a man called Martin Luther who believed that this gospel is true. And so um, what we are trying to do is to follow Martin Luther where he says the just will live by faith. And we go, well, how does a person come to faith? People come to faith by trusting and believing God's word. Romans 14, 17 says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I come from a legal family. My dad, who I won't worry, bore you with this, my dad was actually not only a World War II Soldier, he was a World War II hero, and you can look it up if you want on YouTube. But um, my dad, when he got back from the war, he worked his way through a law school and became a lawyer, became a prosecuting attorney. My mom died when I was 15 years of age of cancer, and my 
Uh, dad was trying to raise the two boys. My older brother was going off to Vietnam, and it was party time in my house because my dad was, unfortunately, got arrested for a couple of DUIs, got himself in trouble and so forth. But one night, he was sitting in his, uh, in his house, and I came in, and uh, he said, where you been, Danny? And I said, oh, uh, in fact, this happened several times, but it was something like this. Where you been, Danny? Oh, I was at um, Joey's house playing Monopoly. Now, really, what I had been doing is smoking dope, smoking weed, dropping different types of drugs and so forth. So I was lying to him, but he's a prosecuting attorney. And he said, well, I thought you were going to go over to Billy's house. Oh, yeah, I went to Billy's house there. Well, did, did Billy's mom see you? Oh, yeah, his mom saw me there. Hey, I know Billy's mom's been on vacation for two weeks. And we're, okay, okay, you got me. I'm a liar. And he'd catch me in my lies because he knew, he knew some things are true and some things are false. We go by principles of absolute truth in every area of our lives. We stop at uh, red lights. A uh, little aside here. Last time I was here, I spoke at another church in Hilo, and I got caught in a trap that the police set for me out there, and I was going 60 in a 40-mile-an-hour zone. I didn't realize it. You know how that one place where it says 40 miles an hour becomes? And I got a ticket there because I should have known that 40 means 40. 40 doesn't mean 60. And so the police officer apologized, and I said, you know, you're making a preacher late for church this morning. Didn't seem, to, didn't seem to bother him very much. But we go through principles of absolute truth in every area of our life. We stop at red lights. We go at green lights. We, uh, we don't drink cyanide. We read pharmaceutical labels on, the, on our prescriptions and so forth. And uh, something is true out there in the world. There was a missionary by the name of E. Stanley Jones. Came from Baltimore. Went from there and he went to India to be a missionary. And uh, he became good friends with uh, Mahatma Gandhi, was good friends with the Nehru family. He was a guy that was very well respected throughout the nation of India, but he was a hardcore, born-again Christian missionary. And he invented something because we had these, uh, well, how do you know the Bible's the Word of God? Because the Bible says that a lot of people have done that throughout church history and not seen much fruit. But he said, well, let's expose Jesus to all of the other religions in the world because all of us can't be right. And so he had what he called Christ at the round table. So he hired out a Hindu ashram, and he brought Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, atheists, agnostics. I don't know if Jehovah's Witnesses were around at that time, but he, he, the, the table was open to everybody. He had a big round table, and he says, we just want to discuss Jesus. And uh, he found out that the Hindus honored Jesus as an avatar. Now, that doesn't make it right, and it doesn't make it true, but... Uh, some people call it, think Jesus is an avatar. Some of the Muslims, a lot of them who follow the Quran, uh, would say that um, Jesus is a prophet. Now, they say he's not, a, not the son of God. We differ on that one. But, these are, but a Hindu believes in reincarnation when you die. A Christian believes in resurrection when you die. An atheist doesn't believe anything except uh, for what he has seen is, uh, is true. But anyway, let me run through this book really quick. I got them available in the back. I'm not selling them. I want this to be an evangelistic tool for you to be able to use. Now, I've also given out, I've printed lots of gospel tracts in my life, but I've found many people need an explanation of the gospel and not just a proclamation of the gospel because of what I just said. You've got a billion people in the world are Muslims. About almost a billion are Hindus. Got about a third of the, a third of the population of the world is Buddhist. And then you've got about 15% of the world's population are atheists or agnostics. But all of those people are non-Christians. There's about 15% of the world that what we would call born-again Christians. And we want to increase that, don't we? We want to be missionaries, whether it's in Hilo or to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so what I did is I, I um, recognized a lot of our young people don't do a lot of reading. 
And so uh, I wrote a little pamphlet called Readers Make Leaders, and then I ended up writing this book. And the first one was on the issue of absolute truth. And oftentimes, somebody that will come into your life and you'll say, well, you need to believe in Jesus. And they say, well, you have your truth and I have my truth. And they go, no, no, Jesus is true whether you or I believe it or not because he's the absolute ruler, etc. And uh, and it's, it's, it was so blatant to them that they began to look around and see Jesus does really stand out here. But the atheist guy could say to the Christian guy, either you're right or I'm wrong, or I'm right and you're wrong, but somebody's wrong. But the whole reason E. Stanley Jones did that was because he wanted people to recognize this gospel is true. Whether it gives you uh, a threatening type of thing or you're afraid of hell or whether you just want to go to heaven or for whatever, he'll take you, he'll take you however he can get you. But what the, the way we should come to Jesus is to recognize he loves us and that is true. He died on the cross for us and that's true and it's something that we want to believe. Now, I want to give you uh, four passages of Scripture. We're going to run through them really quickly. Uh, between Luke and uh, John, 47% of the New Testament was written. If you look at Acts and Luke, too, and then you got 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, the book of Revelation, and the book of John, you end up with all these. Now, John the Apostle is writing. Now, John the Apostle is writing to a general audience there, and he gets to the end of his book. He's talked about Jesus' miracles. He's talked about raising Lazarus from the dead. He's given an incredible uh, way of sharing different parts of the gospel that are true. And at the end of his book, he says this. Jesus did so many wonderful works, I couldn't even put it into words. I, I, I could fill up the whole earth with books about Jesus. Obviously, he's talking metaphorically there. He didn't mean he was going to get things about Jesus piled up on the African continent. But he's saying, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, the Greeks had a, a concept in their, in their religion or, or their philosophy of life, which was you wanted to be able to realize that uh, uh, you need to believe in order to get this life, this zoe. The bugs in the trees out here in the trees themselves have life. They have biological life, but they don't have zoe. They don't have the spring in your step and a, you know, just a stoke in your heart, and you're going to serve the Lord, and you're full of the joy of the Lord because these things really happen, and you believed that you may have zoe in his name. So John wrote the book of John to try to get people to believe. What is belief? Belief is faith. What is faith? According to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, faith is the substance of things that are hoped for and the evidence of things you can't see. Billy Graham gave me this illustration, not personally, but I heard him preach on it one time. He says, you can look out the window and you can see uh, that the wind is blowing. And then he would trick his audience and say, well, you can't see the wind blowing. You can only see evidence that the wind is blowing because you see the trees and because the situation with the plants and so forth and so on is they're there and as soon as some wind comes it gives us evidence that they're that the wind is blowing fact of the matter is we need to recognize that and do our best to try to find out what is true let's go to the second verse this is in first john uh, 5 13 now this is an amazing passage i'll read it slow i write these things to you who believe there's that word believe again faith faith is the evidence of things we can't see like the wind and the leaves. I write these things to you who believe you have faith in the Son of God that you may know. And that's the title of my book is How Can We Know We Know? 
How do, how do you know that I'm even telling the truth up here? And, and what I would say is search it out with the scriptures, but start out with the gospel of belief, which is the gospel of John and now 1 John. I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is a thing I'm able to tell Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, anybody else, is I know I have eternal life. Not because I think I'm better than you are, but because I'm better off than you are, because it's not by my works of righteousness, it's not by doing Christian stuff, it's by simply giving your life to Christ that you may know you have eternal life. Next verse. This is Luke here writing. With this in mind, this is opening the scripture here. With this in mind, since I myself... Now, Luke is writing as a historian. He says, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write unto you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. So he's touting his own horn. He's saying, I know these things. I've carefully researched these things. You can take these things to the bank. They're true. Luke also wrote in the book of Acts... So that you may know the certainty of the things that you... No, this isn't Acts. This is Luke. So that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So he's using words like faith, believing, knowing, certainty. Now we're going to look at a verb that has to do with proofs in Luke chapter... uh, I should say Acts chapter 1. After Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs. Now, if I'm talking to a non-Christian and a non-Christian says, well, how do you know Jesus is true? How do you know you're right and the Muslims are wrong? Or why why can't everybody just get along with each other? Good question. But it's because some things are true and some are not. And I, I wrote my gospel and the book of Acts to give you many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Is that it? Okay. Uh, He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it declares, uh, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and what he was talking about was the fact that there were 500 people at once who are still alive today. Many of them are still alive today, and they could testify that they saw the risen Christ. So these these four passages are just samplings of things the Bible says about itself. But what the Bible says about itself is that John and all of his writings, Luke and his writings, all testify to the veracity or what we call the truth of the gospel. So this is why uh, I wrote a book and the first chapter is called How Do We Know We Know That There's Such a Thing as Truth? And this is where we get into a lot of different discussions here. But the second one is if there's a God, what kind of a God is he? Now, I got a little quote here from the most famous atheist in the world. Does anybody know who the most famous atheist in the world is? His name is Richard Dawkins. And uh, Stephen Hawking is another one coming up. But Richard Dawkins made this out- astonishing statement. I was just talking to our brother here that works up at Mauna Kea. Amazing. This is a quote. Listen carefully. The fact that life evolved out of nearly nothing some 10 billion years after the universe evolved out of literally nothing is a fact so staggering that I would be mad to attempt words to do it justice. Staggering indeed. What I would do is, Richard, why can't you just believe Genesis 1-1? God created the heavens and the earth. On the first page of his second book, Richard Dawkins said this, Biology is the study of complicated things. We got any high school students here that are realizing that's complicated things. Biology is the study of complicated things that give the appearance of having been designed 
for a purpose. Now, this is an atheist, and he says, when you look at the bugs in the ground, when you look under a microscope at organisms, when you look at viruses, uh, don't want to bring that up, but uh, you look at things like that, and then you get out in astronomy, and you see the vast expanse of the universe with millions of stars just in our Milky Way, which is just, another, which is just a subdivision of the universe that we're in, and that goes out the expanse. The Hubble telescope, none of the telescopes can give us the exact dimensions because it is so incredible. But we can't believe that God created it because, you know, that, that just appears to be the way it was. And then there's what they call the anthropic principle, which is that we just happen to live in a place where it's very pleasant here. Uh, we've got weather patterns that we can discover. There are so many things that we can discover to prove that there's a God. But what kind of a God is he? That's what we believe, that God is a loving God, that he's infinite and he's personal. The third chapter is on, well, comparative religions, which I've already covered just a minute. Chapter four is, is the Bible God's word? And how, how do we know we know the Bible is God's word? Well, there are manuscript evidence. There are the appearances of Jesus after he rose from the dead. Uh, there are several other things that give weight to the fact that the Bible is God's word. And you can check it out. Fulfilled prophecy. There are hundreds of prophecies that were predicted hundreds of years before Christ and even prophecies that are still being fulfilled today. Many historians thought that Pontius Pilate was a myth, and then whoever wrote about Pontius Pilate was just making things out of straw, out of straw, you know, just not listening to that. 1961, there were some archaeologists found all kinds of evidence that Pilate was true and that the biblical account was true. And if we had the time this morning, I would talk to you about hundreds of these prophecies that were given. Chapter 5 of my Bible, my book, it talks about the, um, who was Jesus Christ. We'll talk about him when we get to the end. The third one was, uh, the sixth one is, in number six would be, is Jesus, did Jesus rise from the dead? That's another thing to think about. Then there are four questions that I put in my book. Where did we come from? Were we just time plus matter plus chance? Or maybe God looked down from heaven and saw Danny Lehman and said, I think I'll create a Danny. And I think I'll make him five foot six. I know he wants to be six foot five, but I'm going to make him five foot six because that's really what he needs. And, and, uh, and he would create a Danny Lehman. And I would realize I have been made in the image of God. And where did we come from? We came from God who created us. Now, of course, we were in our mother's womb and there were all the natural processes. But at the same time, God is very much into helping us to realize where we came from. How should we live? I work with young people and youth with a mission all the time. Why? Why should we tell them to keep themselves sexually pure in this sexually impure world of ours? What, what benefit is it? It's not a benefit. It's the fact of whether or not there is a loving God who loves you and wants to give you his plan for your life. Okay. What I'd like to do now is go to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And, and I'm going to leave you with three encouragements with the area of, that I have to do with... Uh, Evangelism. In evangelism, we must, number one, we must defend the faith. It tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, to be ready always to give an answer to everyone who asks you a reason of the hope that is within you. That was the King James that I memorized, but here we have it in the NIV Bible. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So you don't just want to say, well, I believe Jesus because every promise in the book is mine and my mother and my grandmother were Christians and so therefore I'm a Christian. 
No, somebody says, why should I give my life to Christ? And you can go through some of the things in the book and just walk through them with it. You could read it yourself in three hours. And if you gave this to a non-Christian and went back to discuss these things with him, you can go to the back and look up the appendix. But this is like 100 pages. You could read it in three hours and uh, be able to share it with your non-Christian friends. But that's why it says, be ready... Always be prepared. So while you're not in a witnessing situation, when you have some time, you're making yourself prepared. You're preparing yourself. And the Greek word there for answer, where it says uh, that we need to, in 1 Peter 3.15, we need to be ready to give an answer. The word answer is the word apologia, from which we get our word apologetics. It doesn't mean, well, I'm sorry, I'm a Christian, I just apologize. No, it doesn't mean that. It just simply means that God has a plan and a purpose for our life, and we need to to depend on that. Number two, we need to contend for the faith. This is an interesting verse. It's in Jude, verse three. There's only one chapter in Jude, verse three, and it says this. It says, be ready always to make a defense for the faith or contend for the faith. And the word contend means, uh, it's, it's a fighting word, it's a boxing word. They had Olympic games in those days. He says, we must be careful to contend for the faith, which was once for all entrusted to the saints. So there's a certain amount of fighting that needs to go on. doesn't mean you fist fight with non-Christians. It's not a physical thing, but there's a spiritual battle going on, and that spiritual battle is for the souls of men and the nations of the world because there is truth and there are untruths. I did a Bible study on this, found out that there were 18 times that the word um, false prophet or false teacher appears, and Jesus talked in many times where he talked about beware in the last days. Many will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines taught by demons. And there's all of these things are going to come down, and you've got to be able to discern, and once once you have your own heart, then you can be able to turn that on to other people as well. So number one, we need to defend the faith. Number two, we need to contend for the faith. And number three, we need to commend the faith. And uh, <clears throat> I want to close with just a little illustration from a guy named C.S. Lewis. Anybody ever heard of C.S. Lewis? Christian philosopher. So C.S. Lewis uh, wrote in his book, Mere Christianity, and I'm just quoting from, from memory. But he said, let's not do this silly thing that we often do and say that Jesus was a good teacher and accept him as a good teacher but not accept what he said about his divinity. He said, Jesus said he was the son of God and if he knew he wasn't the son of God, he was a liar. He said he was the son of God, thought he was the son of God but he really wasn't. He was a lunatic. Or Jesus is the Lord and is who he said he was. And C.S. Lewis goes on to say, you have no other options. You've got to either accept him as God or you've got to reject him as a, a false prophet or a lunatic or a liar or you recognize that he is who he said he was. I was, a um, strange way to close the message today, but one day I was walking through my living room and for some reason Oprah Winfrey was on the television. And I uh, uh, stopped a minute and I saw, oh, she's got Nick Javokic coming on her program, who's, if you've ever seen this fellow, he's a Christian evangelist, but he's got no legs or arms. Have you ever seen this? He's an amazing guy. Loves the Lord with all of his heart. I met him one time, just an incredible brother in Christ. And Oprah was just saying, Nick, how can you stay so happy? How do you have such joy? How are you able to maintain such a 
incredible uh, fulfillment of your life. And he says, I'm glad you asked, Oprah, because Jesus changed my life and he died on the cross. And he just lets loose the gospel to the millions of people watching Oprah as well as Oprah herself. For some reason, I got inquisitive into this when I found out that a couple days later, Oprah was going to have a man named Deepak Chakra on her show. Now, Deepak Chakra is a Hindu, New Age uh, guru kind of a guy, but he's very, he has self-help books that he puts out and so forth. And so, well, Deepak, tell me how you maintain such joy and peace. And, and the same thing. And he said, this is what I do. And so he tells her what he does in his uh, you know, Hindu quiet times. And Oprah was just stoked. I don't think Oprah was a hypocrite. I think that she, in her worldview, one religion is the same as another religion. And if that's true, that's true as well. You can have conflicting truths. By the way, whenever you ask somebody if they believe in absolute truth, if they say, uh, no, I don't believe in absolute truth, you say, are you sure about that? Is that absolutely true? <laughs> and so, point as I close today is, the gospel is true. There is a God. There's a specific God named God the Father and Jesus Christ and so forth, and you can read Daniel's books with more about that. Jesus did rise from the dead. The Bible is the word of God. Jesus is who he said he was. We know where we are going. We know where we came from. We know how we should, we should live. And the last one is, where's it all going to end other end? When we get to the end of our sojourn here on the earth, do you have the assurance tonight that Jesus is real and that you are saved? I'll give you one more, one more story. I was on a plane one time, and I sat next to another Muslim imam. I just draw these guys like flies to myself for some reason. But I said to, um, I said to this man, do you believe in Jesus? And we went back and forth and so forth. And I said, I heard that you, I heard that you um, Muslims are not for sure believe uh, that uh, the Quran is true. Is that right? He goes, oh, yeah. And I said, and... I've heard that you don't, you don't have an assurance for sure that you're going to go to heaven. He goes, oh yeah, whatever Allah wills. That's what I, I said, let me, and I, I gave him Romans chapter 2 verse 4, which says, it's the goodness and the kindness of God that draws us to repentance. And so let's remember this God that we have, that we start out with truth. We have the veracity of truth. We have a Bible to back things up. We've got a Savior that died on the cross. He rose from the dead, and he answers those four questions of life. Where did we come from? How should we live? What is the meaning of life? And where are we going to go? And I, we've got good news with the gospel. So, uh, uh, by the way, I'm not selling those books. Just go back, take as many as you feel like you could use. Drop some money in the box if you'd like. But otherwise, it's free of charge because I want to do everything I can to help equip and help you to share the gospel with your Christian friends. Uh, I mean, with your non-Christian friends. Amen? Amen. Whoops. Went a couple minutes over time here. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. We thank you that Jesus gave us a commission 2,000 years ago to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, to go into all the world and make disciples, to defend the faith, to contend for the faith, and to commend the faith to non-Christians. And we pray that you would help us, Lord, in the name of Jesus, uh, to reach out to our neighbors, our friends, our relatives, uh, people that we work with, live with, play with, and whether we're in the surf or whether at the, at the market, Help us, Lord, to regularly just remind ourselves of what you've done for us so that we can give our all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll have the worship team come up now.